Welcome to the E6S Methods Podcast with Jacob and Aaron, your weekly dose of tips and tricks to achieve excellent performance in your business and career. Join us as we explore deeper into the practical worlds of Lean, Six Sigma, project management, and design thinking. In this episode number 209, we introduce various types of statistical process control charts in Process Pulse Part 1. If you're just tuning in for the first time, find all our back episodes on our podcast table of contents at e6s-methods.com. If you like this episode, be sure to click the like link in the show notes. It's easy. Just tap our logo, click, and you're done. Tap, click, done. Here we go. Hey, Jacob. How are you? I'm great, Aaron. How are you doing? Jacob, I'm doing delightful. Excellent. It's a new word. Or is it, is it delightfully? I don't know. So. No, I'm keeping delightfully. <laughs> I'm doing well, thank you. Excellent. And so, uh, good to that we're going to get back into the swing of things, and I thought, I, I thought I'd turn up the heat a little bit with some of the more technical tools that I'd say for the last year or so we've uh, kind of skirted around. So, I think it's, it's time to get back to, the, to our roots a little bit. Excellent. So, this one is going to be on Statistical Process Control, or SPC, and I'm, uh, I'm likening it to the, the process pulse. If I think about st- statistical process control, I think about monitoring the most important vital signs of a process. And to me, it's just like monitoring your pulse and just looking for anything that goes a little bit haywire. All right. Let's, let's see what we have to talk about it. <laughs> We've got lots. I know. So uh, getting back to some of our, our old ways, let's talk a little bit about uh, what some of the objections might be to somebody saying, hey, we don't need statistical process control. We don't have the time to look at and analyze every single data point. What do you think about that? I mean, that's true. Just kidding. Just kidding. I mean, I mean, the idea is you don't necessarily need to look and analyze critically every data point. The, the chart, you know, be it depending on what sort of chart you decide, will by just plotting it on that chart, it will show you what are some of the areas or things that you should start getting concerned about. Um, is it trending in a direction where you need to be worried about? Is it is it actually behaving in the way you expect it to behave? Those things those things become much more simpler or easier to identify visually when you plot them on a control chart. Yeah, and, and I mean, this doesn't take into account that um, you know there are sampling plans that come along with this. Uh, not all processes are you doing 100% sampling. Most mm-hmm. processes you're you're not. As a matter of fact, or you shouldn't. You d- <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> but you do want some sort of representative time sample that would give you an indication if things uh, are well steady. I'll say. Yep. And how about this? We already do SPC, but it really isn't helping us with anything. Uh, I've heard that a lot. And I think my my point is, are you doing it the right way? Mm. Uh, with with the with the question being, are you doing it just to show people that you're doing something about it, mm-hmm. or you know, do you have an engineer or do you have somebody who's knowledgeable enough to look at that chart and to be able to tell you here's what you're seeing or here's what you're looking for? And then the most important question comes: Are your limits or things that you're you're checking yourself against are they actually what it should be or is it different? Mm-hmm. That's at least my experience been with it. And, you know, sometimes in certain cases, your process is so damn strong or so really good that, you know, SPC is actually just telling you that don't worry about it. It is working as it's expected to just keep going. Yeah, I guess somebody might consider that to be um, not helping. But for me, even if it uh, wasn't giving any signals, I don't know if I'd c- consider that to be a uh, 
you know, the, yeah, right. It's the, the absence of a problem is not necessarily, uh, a negative, I guess, uh, in, in that manner, but that doesn't make it useless. I should say. Correct. So yeah. And, and really get it. This whole real time thing. Uh, it's, I mean, I, I gotta say, I, I've actually seen very few companies actually do it properly, uh, real time using the right folks to, to, uh, to really interrogate the process and monitor it. Usually it's, Say, oh, the month is over. Customers coming. We need to show our SPC charts. So mm-hmm. let's uh, let's put them together, engineers. And then, if you had any signals, you can't actually answer for what you guys do during this time. You're like, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. I mean, ideally, these are sort of. And again, I don't know about. I don't shouldn't speak common to everything, but a lot of the packages or software or tools that most organizations have. I am hoping against hope that these controls are put in the background. So when you are recording certain data, um, it is checking against these and kind of validating is it in the line or not. Because there, you know, a lot of lot of you know pokayoke, if you want to call it, in some of the instruments or machinery, it kind of exists in the background, uh, or it should exist in the background. Mm-hmm. I forget what what we we using in our chemical world. The, the software for QC, uh, I forget what, WinLems or something. WinLems, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, in the background, I know it had the statistics. So if, you, if you're if you plotting this or if you're actually even recording the data, it kind of makes you or gives you a warning to say, is this really what you entered? Because it doesn't look like it should be what it should be. Right. In that case, it was uh, dynamically checking everything, either against some set limits based off of a previous, previous history. St- history, right? Yeah. Or, um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think we always did set limits. I don't think we really had dynamic limits in that. But some software, uh, like Minitab, you can you can choose either or to be dynamic or set. Exactly. All right, just a little uh, note here that there's a lot of images in this. So anybody who's listening along, they might want to check out the website and uh, hit the link and take a look at the show notes uh, to look at some of these images. All right, statistical process control, history, Robert... Robert. Walter. I don't know where Robert came from. Yeah, I don't know where he came from. <laughs> Walter Schuart, who worked uh, for Bell Labs in the 1920s. And what always strikes me about just looking at the history of any of these things, what we're looking at here is roughly 100 years later. And in some industries, we're still talking about it as if it's novel and brand new and, and won't work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it kind of drives me crazy. <laughs> but uh you know, like that's just the way the way things work, I suppose. The basic, you know, we've already shown uh, statistical process control in the past, and uh, let's see, it looks like that's episode sixty four and sixty five, stable and capable. Um, just looking at the anatomy, it is just looks like a, a line drawing with a bunch of connected dots, and uh, it's plotted over a series. X axis is the time axis, the y-axis is whatever your your metric is. There's a center line in the middle that represents the mean of all the measurements. And then there's upper and lower control limits, which are based off of roughly three standard deviations. And uh, one of the key rules, the one main key rule everybody uses is if a single point goes outside of either the upper or lower control limit, um, then you may have a special cause variation and that you might want to check it out. That would be your abnormal situation. Correct. All right, so I got a little example here. Okay. Um, oh wait, actually, let's right here. Another another note. So 
I said it monitors the health of the process. So you already mentioned it's looking at trends, right? Mm-hmm. Um, abnormal changes and variations. Say if you have a really tight process and then all of a sudden it uh, starts to swing back and forth pretty widely, it'll pick up on that. Um, and so, and also major shifts from the, well, I said target, but I really mean from the center line. So if you had like a step change over time, it would pick up on some of those things. So there are some rules to help pick up on that. And we'll cover all the rules in detail later, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. Got an example here, and it's actually a real one. Ooh. So let's see. An operator on, on a ceramics coating process monitors the coating weights applied to each part. The process flags for rule one violation for statistically lighter than usual coating weight. And I've uh, kind of outlined here what the proper action would be. Can you walk us through that? Sure. You know, it's like that and on chords sort of a situation when something's not necessarily in the limits what you want to. You stop everything. You then swarm. You inspect the part. You know, confirm is it still within the specification of what your customer would accept. Um, You know, while you're doing that, you know, get an understanding of what is causing this to happen. You know, did we change something? Did something else happen? What is is impacting this process that's resulting in your part being lighter than the usual what you're expecting and if it's good nothing's changed somewhere capture the note that what you did why you did and why you made the decision to continue as it is or if it is really significant and something's not working the way it should then you know get help uh, you know notify the others and fix the problem before you start uh the process back up again right and that and that's his uh, it is kind of an ideal world though right i exactly. mean so uh, what would you say happened would be more typical of what you'd find? Uh, typical would be you would let the supervisor know, but you would keep still the line running and pray to God that the next part is not coming the way it is. And probably when you see two or three parts that way, then you probably consider escalating it and doing something about it. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> so there is a, an image that shows uh, what it looks like to have a couple parts that fall underweight for mm-hmm. this ceramic coating process. Yep. And everything really does matter on, uh, you have to pick the right metrics. That's that's one key thing is a lot of our companies, it, basically it is good, uh, in my opinion, to look at most metrics in this manner, except that most of our com- companies have far too many metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking at too many metrics in this way is a little bit fatiguing. Uh, leadership looks at them and they're like, I don't know what those mean, and... Don't bother me with that much detail. Just give me a number kind of thing. Um, so so that's standing in the way of this. So um, use the tool more where it's going to be most accepted, and it's generally among uh, those that are technical and very familiar with a the process in which they're measuring. That's true. And even, even you know, to your point, even the SPC, there are different versions on what you should use when and where. Mm. And even that also can be tricky. Absolutely. Well, that's a good segue. So how about you walk us through some of those uh, basic types. You are listening to E6S Methods Podcast, brought to you by E6S Industries. Join us on our website at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success. Are you applying for professional certification in your field? You'll be happy to learn that all this time you've been streaming Jacob and me into your ears. 
You've also been earning Continuing Education Units, or CEUs, which can be applied toward most professional certifications. You can do your research, all the math, and figure out which episodes are applicable for which discipline, or you can save yourself the time and hassle and just order a CEU report from us. All you need to do is provide us with which episodes you've listened to, and we'll provide you with a portfolio including details about each episode and a certificate of recognition with a CEU breakdown by competency, including leadership, tactics and tools, strategy deployment, and principles and philosophies. So if you have certification on the mind, start here and save some time. Just go to e6s-methods.com slash CEU to order yours. Oof, now this is the hard part. You know, I haven't used many of these for a long time. So you're putting me to test, but I think the the simplest and you know the first chart that we've shown, which look resembles a SPC chart, is what is known as the IMR chart or the individual moving range chart. And this is mainly used when you have some sort of a continuous data. Uh, when when we say continuous data, for those who remember, it's basically numerical data that has decimal points or something that accompany it. Um, and the the data is not something that you are subgrouping or sampling, if you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's basically, for the most case, every part or every individual piece is being measured is kind of how I would differentiate. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if or if you would call subgrouping something different. Well, I guess it's it's just it's a single thing. So you could say it could be a sample, like a one piece taken from a batch, if you wanted to look at it that way. But you're not taking the average of multiple samples in that case. Correct. The second or probably the more more common one that you would see is what is known as an X-bar R-chart. Um, X-bar, as it stands for, is mean, for those who remember the statistics. Um, and R is, again, the range, uh, which basically, again, it is for continuous data, uh, but you're using X-bar, which is basically an average of all a few parts that you're doing. So there's some level of grouping or subgrouping that's going on uh, when you're measuring that individual data point on that graph. Another... So these X-bar IR and the IMR chart are probably the more common ones that you would see uh, for continuous data. When you're looking at more discrete or attribute data, uh, you're looking at two main kinds. One is a proportions chart, or known mm-hmm. as a P-chart, or the other is known as a U-chart. Again, both of them have um, subgrouping kind of built into it. Uh, one is looking more at proportions or percentage, that's the P chart. Um, and the U chart is more looking at a, a DPU, which is defects per unit uh, or opportunity, DPMO option. Um, that's what they're looking at more. Right. So, and, you know, for me personally, when I had to do this until until I started doing something, which was, again, very rare, differentiating when, when do I use a percentage versus when do I use a DPMO was hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Aaron might have a much better example on how exactly to do that. Yeah, well, so so for the proportion, so let me just stay for for I'd say ninety percent of anything you might need to measure, you could use an IMR, X bar R, or a P chart. Yeah. Uh, if you are in a situation where you really want to know, uh, get a decent review of defects. So proportions is more for defectives, you know, and that yep. nuance is a little bit different. So this is the count of defective parts versus the count of total parts, and that give you the proportion defective. U is if you are looking for defects where there are multiple possible on a single unit. And basically, they'll all get averaged out with the number of units that you're actually looking at. So you could have, say, for instance, 3.115 D 
defects per unit. So on average, every unit roughly would have, you know, at least three defects and you have some decimal places. It's kind of counterintuitive. It doesn't really make sense until you really get in there and start to uh, work with it as a chart. Um, uh, I'd say for most people see it in the classroom for the first time, it, it doesn't quite resonate. So, but, uh, but I'd say with, with these three, IMR, XBAR, RP, plus the U, you really take care of, I'd say, 99.9% of any control charts you might need to do. Correct. And if you're going beyond that, that means either you have a very complicated process or you as an individual are complicating your process. <laughs> and with that, we say, but wait, there's more. <laughs> so, Aaron, what are, the, what are the complex ones that you have encountered or you have used a little bit here and there? Well, I, I won't claim to have used very many of these, certainly not in a application outside of the classroom, but I just want to introduce some of what are available. So there's also one called X-Bar S, and it's a little bit of a variation from the X-Bar R. It's mm -hmm. still mean, but it's no longer using range anymore. It's using standard deviation. Yep. And it's still the same, rational subgroup and continuous data, but when you're dealing with large sample sizes, uh, it is actually better to estimate standard deviation with or estimate, sorry, variation in the process for your control limits with actual standard deviation and rather than range. So, and this is kind of a, this comes up mostly because now we have a lot more availability of data. It's easier to take samples and it's much easier to crunch the data. Correct. Where, where X bar R was invented, everything was done by hand. Mm -hmm. So um, small samples and just a little bit of simple math were used to estimate everything we needed. So then we have NP, which is a lot like the P uh, for proportions. Uh, but this one actually, instead of creating it and turning it into a, uh, a percentage, we're actually just doing the counts of defective units. So if there was you know, three out of 100 defective units, we wouldn't say 3% anymore. We would just say there's just three defectives. Um, and that, and they would only, it would only plot the raw discrete number count. Uh, similar, the C plots individual counts uh, counts of defects as opposed to defective units. So it could be a little bit like the U chart, except we're not doing defects per unit. We're just counting the number of total defects. And uh, there's the little nuance there. Personally, I'm not interested in in NP and C the counts. I'd rather see it normalized uh, based off of the subgroup size. So, but I'm happy using a percentage. Yeah, exactly. So then there is the ZMR, or as some people might call it, the short run chart. And every plot is converted into this Z score. And yeah, I don't know if we've ever talked. Have we talked about Z score yet? I, maybe we had to in the beginning. Hmm. You know, I, I am. We are gotten far enough where I'm actually forgetting yes. what we've talked about, <laughs> what we haven't. That's true. So uh, I'll have to check the archives, or maybe maybe somebody who's gone all the way through the catalog can come back and say, hey, Aaron and Jacob, no, you didn't. What's the Z-score? Mm -hmm. um, but we'll talk about it a little bit here. We're still looking at continuous data, no subgroups. We are looking at, so everything is converted into Z-score, and this is essentially units of standard deviation, so units of sigma. So where is this fall between negative three sigma and positive three sigma relative to the variation. Um, it's, it's confusing. Uh, we're not going to be able to teach you the Z score here, but basically this is 
the only one that's really useful if you have low volume production and you have a high mix of different parts. So you've got a lot of different parts all running on the same machine. This helps you compare sort of apples and oranges. You can use the data from all types of parts that you're running on the same equipment to give you an indication on if that equipment is uh, running uh, properly. So say if you're only making 10 parts of one widget and uh, 10 parts of another widget and three parts of a third widget, you could use all that data together in this normalized Z-score world and see if you're process itself is behaving differently um and i think that's and i think that's a key part here right you got to be careful when you use this because it's not necessarily anything that you're doing about the part anymore it's about the process or about the equipment that is what is giving you the information on and you have to be conscious and careful about that absolutely and it it does rely on a bit of an assumption that variation in all types of parts is going to be similar consistent Uh, yeah yeah, (laughs) consistent yeah. yeah So it it does take a little bit, um, but I have found that in a lot of small companies, when they try to run statistical process control, they're always like, well, we want to, but we, we never get enough data to make have it make a difference. By the time they run their setup and run their parts, it doesn't really matter what's going on. Mm-hmm. They're just uh, running off large batches. And then there is the Laney P and the Laney U. I don't even think I've heard about them. Yeah, this one this one came about when I moved into uh, the telecom industry because of the large amounts of data. You can have an artifact of large sample size. Again, getting back to all these things that used to be done by hand. So for the P chart and the U chart, those were the control limits are decided by sample size, like sample sizes in the denominator. So the the distance between the control limits artificially shrinks when you have hundreds to a thousand in pieces in a sample size. So this is Minitab now has a, a little alarm in there that hey, you got too much of a sample size. You need to use the Laney instead of these other ones because you're going to artificially sh- shrink your control limits and everything is going to look out of control. Mm. Um, we call that over dispersion. Okay. Makes sense. Coincidentally, when you have a sample size that large, if you don't have a Laney P or Laney U at your disposal, you can get pretty much the same practical information just by plotting it on a IMR chart. The, it, it roughly works out the same. So somewhat even more advanced. Whoa. Want to take a stab? I mean, again, I don't know who would use these, but I think one of them is the exponential weighted moving average, EWMA as it's called. Um, again, it's used for continuous data, uh, mainly for individual data points, uh, sometimes with subgroups, most of the cases without. And here it is basically looking at your previous data point, and it's weighing or giving a certain percentage of weight to the previous data point. And then as you go further and further back into history, the weightage keeps lowering itself, and then you're comparing it on a run chart to see how is it trending over time. Um, I think this is mainly used, from what I remember, to look at, you know, small changes, trends in a direction um, that you are trying to see if this is moving around or not. And Aaron, correct me where I'm wrong, because this is something that I haven't used. I've just theoretically seen it being used or talked yeah, about it. Yeah, and, and same here. And this is when you've really got your process really nailed down and and optimize and you're just measuring very small variation it's not seeing all kinds of outliers or anything like that or or a special cause and you're just looking at 
minor fluctuations, this is when you would say, okay, we know there's some variation. We can employ this. We can employ this more advanced control chart to detect very tiny changes a little bit more earlier. So it can. I mean, this really gives you an early indication if anything's going on. Yeah. Normally, most processes I've been in, this wouldn't be very helpful because it would any small shift would be lost in the noise of of a really out of control process. Uh, it's either that, or we never. I've never been blessed with processes that are so much in control. Right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So the other type, or another version, similarly, is one known as QSUM chart, which is a cumulative sum chart. Um, and this one you will have to explain because I don't think I can explain this. Yeah, it's basically the same thing. It, and it's actually difficult. I, I tried to go through it in many tab. It, I wanna I wanna let people know it's there, but I'm not gonna say it's uh it's very intuitive, but it it continues to sum up the values. The deep sorry, sums up the deviations of each sample of the value from the target value. So you have to set a target value and then it looks to sum up the deviations from there. And once it hits a certain threshold, I think the threshold is Oh no, I'm looking at a zone chart. Once it hits a, a certain value, it's going to flag. But basically, it's still to detect small shifts from the target uh, for for a process that's already very well in control. It's kind of like the EWMA, just a, another method of of doing the same thing. It's just a calculation, slightly different, basically. Exactly. Yep. And then you already referenced the the other kind, which is a zone chart, which is nothing but a crossbreed of the X bar R and the QSUM chart. Yeah, right. And this this one puts everything in terms of zones, um, and the zones are considered the one, two, and three center deviations from the center line. But um, they they're only one rule here, and as it does this, whatever calculation this this one threw me off. Whatever calculation it does, if once it hits above eight, it flags as a problem, and that's just the rule they put in place. I don't have any any other rationale than that. Got it. And there are others, um, which I haven't had the opportunity to really uh, get to know, but multivariate, so this is tracking multiple variables uh, impact on a control chart uh, and also a rare events chart, which would be something more like uh, Black Swan or something like that. There's time between rare events kind of thing. Hmm. Interesting. I will have to study that a little bit more, but for now, just say there's more. All right. All right, the meat, meat and potatoes, like really getting into it. Uh, we talked about what it looks like. We talked about the types. They all kind of follow, I shouldn't say all, but many of them follow many of these same rules that are applied. And we have eight Western Electric rules, starting with rule one. Jacob, this one's probably your favorite. Take it away. Yeah, but before I go any further, wasn't there nine rules? Thanks for listening to episode 209 of the E6S Methods podcast. Stay tuned for episode 210 for Process Pulse Part 2, where we discuss the Western Electric rules. Don't forget to click like or dislike for this episode in the show notes. Tap click done. If you have a question, comment, or advice, leave a note in the comment section or contact us directly. Feel free to email me, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at e6s-methods.com or on our website. We reply to all messages. If you heard something to like, then share us with a friend or leave a review. Didn't like what you heard? Join our LinkedIn group and tell us why. Don't forget you can find notes and graphics for all shows and more at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success. If you're not climbing up, you're falling down.